Money Sense, bringing an informed financial perspective to the Cayman community. A very good morning and warm welcome to Money Sense. I'm Simon Cordry, and I have the pleasure of hosting this morning's show in collaboration with my esteemed and most worthy co-hosts. Firstly, the irresistibly unconventional Emil Kalinowski. Good morning. Good morning. You, you hesitated there, didn't you? <laughs> I, I had wished that you had stopped at irresistible. Fair enough. We'll come to that. And secondly, the fitness goddess and resplendently qualified Amy Hubble. Wow, there we go. Yeah. I approve. One of my forecasts for this year is that one of, our co- one of these co-hosts, these three people, is this year going to do a 10-minute plank. And I'm going to see which of us is going to be considered the failure of this studio. I, I will volunteer to be the failure. Simon made me do push-ups in the office the other day and berated me for not hovering above the, the floor. Mm. Uh, on You've got to start the, the year as you intend to go on. It's a financial show, ladies and gentlemen. Trust me. <laughs> Just stick around, I promise. Yes, indeed. Right. With that ringing in our ears, today's show, I've recalled, only happens once a year. Although... When you think about it, temporally, every show only happens once a year, because otherwise there would be that time juxtaposition which would confuse matters. It's a little early for, it for is, that level it is. of but philosophy. But this is nevertheless a show that can only happen once a year because it is a forecast of the year to come. So excitement ahead. But before we get to that, a quick reflection I thought would be in order. We haven't done this for a year because it's been a year, but we have together all travelled 149.6 million kilometres. Now, that seems like a long journey, and you think on such a long journey, things might have happened. But regrettably, it seems as though pretty much nothing has happened. We're still talking about the COVID. We're all learning the Greek alphabet. And it seems as though if we don't change, we're all having to learn what follows Zeta in the Greek alphabet and learning some other language. A fun number for you to reference, which I just read about yesterday, in reference to 2021, is 14 Zeta Joules. Now, educate us. Well, indeed, it's not the amount of energy that Emil's electricity bill suggests he consumes on a weekly basis, but rather, actually, according to the advances in atmospheric sciences, it is the amount of heat by which the oceans increased in 2021. So, this was actually the biggest recorded increase in history, with the second biggest being in 2020 and the third biggest being in 2019, increasing the heat in the ocean. Now, I say that not as a forecast. But it does seem to me as though it won't be long before politicians have to start globally talking about flood prevention, have to start globally talking about mitigation of rising sea levels, because it's really at the moment a fringe area of science or fringe it's in the science community as opposed to in the public community. And the other, I think, which will come from this will be an increasing level of conversation about changes to the jet stream that might be occurring, what that means for communities both in the uh, northern Europe. Without the jet stream, of course, it would be tundra-like cold. And also in the Caribbean, because without the jet stream, it would be a very different place indeed. So enough of the history. Let us look instead forward and comment on thoughts for the year 4.571 billion. That, of course, being the <laughs> estimated age of the solar system, otherwise known as the year 2022. Amy, therefore, the microphone is yours and we await your prognostications on 2022. Well, thank you for that, Simon. And, and as I, I was trying to look and back and see what my notes for last year, and I think I might have been suspiciously absent, but I think if I had to... Um, <laughs> it's the best way not to be wrong. Exactly. If I had to guess what both of you said both mm. last year and what I assume you'll say today, I would have assumed that Simon would have 
diplomatically talked about something that had nothing to do with the monetary markets and 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 somehow managed to make no forecast at all in the forecast and that Emil uh, likely has and will predict the end of the world. Again. Again. <laughs> if it hasn't already ended by the time the show. <laughs> so just to ruin the ending, guys. But fr- from this year... You know, it's it's probably a surprise to all of us that the, the, the at least from the U.S. stock market's perspective was up almost thirty percent. I think the rest of the world was somewhere between seven, seven and ten, and so that was certainly a surprise, even to somebody like myself who, in general, assumes that the markets do go up. And it is hard to make a short-term forecast because, you know, it could go up, could go down, but over time, over a hundred years of reliable index data, the stock markets have returned on average, about 10% a year. So that's usually my forecast go-to. Now, do I think we're going to have another 30% up year? Absolutely no way. I just don't think that's possible <clears throat> with where inflation is. I think we had an inflation rating yesterday. We've got 7% year-over-year, 5.5% core. That almost certainly means that central bankers around the world will be raising rates to slow some of that down, even if they they still, out of the other side of their mouth, believe that to be transitory. So my best bet, my best forecast is to just continue to stay disciplined in long-term diversified stocks, real stocks with real earnings, not meme stocks, not crypto. So that's my forecast. Emil's very sad now. He can't go and invest in meme I know, and I crypto. Can, I can see tears rolling down his face. What, what about uh, international markets? Do you think that uh, investors should be exposed to international markets as well when it comes to equities? What about bonds, commodities, anything like that? Sure. Absolutely. Yes. All of those things. I think you do need to certainly in a year like this be diversified. And even as I'm doing kind of my my annual reports, you know, a lot of my benchmarks are against the S&P 500. And people are coming to me and they're saying, why don't we ever beat the S&P 500? And especially in a year where the S&P 500, which is very dominated by those very large tech growth stocks, have returned almost 30%, you're almost always going to be underperforming that kind of asset when that such a large swath hits that. But you do certainly, it's not like the international markets do not have good companies within it. They have their own struggles. Europe has continued to to break up. Can't be friends always. There's others. Don't look at me. Yeah, the jet British. stream. We exited. We exited. Is is an effect. But yes, the the rest of the world has has also been operating at a very very low interest rate. I mean, to zero to negative even in in the European areas. And I do think we're going to start seeing yields being positive, which. Is, is good and bad for bonds because yields going up, we know bond prices are going to go down, especially when people are invested in uh, a fund structure. It is because some of that is going to be exacerbated by people seeing interest rates going up. That means bond prices are going to go down. And those bond funds that they've usually seen in their portfolios as kind of the the stalwart, they're going to start to see losing money. And we did see that a little bit this year. And when people that are invested in bond funds that are easily able to to get out of those, I do think we're going to see some outflows. So I would look to do a little bit of interest rate hedging there. If you own individual bonds, you know, it doesn't really matter. You know what you're going to get back when it matures, you're going to get back that par value. And so just depending on how, how you invest, how you're actually getting exposure, um, I think you do need to be a little bit cautious there, going into at least give give that some thought and make sure you understand the dynamics of how bonds work. 
Um, but yes, absolutely. I think you still need to be diversified across international markets, diversified across small cap and large cap, and, and also have some exposure to, to commodities as well. Diversification means being exposed to some peculiar items, too. It's not just being exposed to that which we feel comfortable with. Because it's like we having a meal in the, in the studio, isn't it? A diversified cast. Yes. It's true. <laughs> if that's a quip about me being American... Peculiar, and, you are going with. Peculiar. Okay. <laughs> yeah, technically, I'm also... Not technically, I'm also American, Simon, so you're really our I wasn't. I wasn't saying American, so... Uh, and so that means being exposed to peculiar things that we would otherwise think maybe are not safe, but they might be in other moments right? because we can't predict the future. Maybe commodities are a good hedge. Maybe bonds will do really well this year. Who knows? And the the focus, the, the where I'm trying to take this question, is the peculiar asset that we're all most familiar with is cryptocurrency. Have, and you're exposed, you talk to clients every day, is there something that clients have come to you and said, I would like to invest some portion of my portfolio in this cryptocurrency fund? Is there a fund? Some, what is Basically, what is the conversation that you're having with your clients regarding the ease of investing in this bizarre thing? Yeah, especially in the U.S., it's become increasingly easy. I mean, you can do it through Venmo. You can do it through easy easy custodians through Coinbase or something like that. Myself, I'm not invested in crypto, nor do I uh, recommend investing in crypto as an investment asset. And I'll tell you why. Now, I, I don't necessarily think that the future isn't in some form of digital currency or even crypto. But what I like to think of crypto is uses as a technology use asset or as a currency. Now, as a, as a means of exchange. And for me, a means of exchange means stable prices. Mm-hmm. And for me, an investment that is good does not mean stable prices. But when you are using something as a means of exchange or a technology platform, I think certainly there's a lot of uses there. One of the big themes that I was was have really been looking into and starting to conceptualize a little bit more, I think even in the last couple of months, is the metaverse. And that's kind of a major theme. And I can see Simon's eyes starting to roll back in his head a little bit. But I, you know, in in October, Mark Zuckerberg changed Facebook's name to Meta Platforms, which at the time I think we were all kind of like, that's silly. But the more that I think about it, and I read the the book Snow Crash, built fantastic <laughs> from uh, Neil Stephenson. Neil Stephenson. It was awesome. written in in 19, 1992, and I really it's it's a nerdy sci-fi book, which obviously that's why Emil has read it. Oh, but you. it has. It certainly kind of put myself in perspective of understanding or at least conceptualizing how the metaverse could actually work and how that would how that could actually transforms our lives, not only from a gaming standpoint, from a virtual reality headset, but even from an office setting and from a social setting, from a health setting. You know, I, you know over Christmas, I saw a lot of my friends' kids get Oculuses for, for Christmas. And I think we, and obviously it's a big mega theme, people are talking about it all the time. But the thought is, that you could have a, a business meeting in the metaverse, you, you would have an avatar that you design, and likely you would go out and you would buy. I mean, I, I just saw a, a Twitter yesterday that Gap is entering the NFT space, where you, maybe you're buying clothes for your avatar. And I mean, we pay for s- silly digital things all the time. And if you're presenting yourself in a certain way in the metaverse as, as an avatar, you know, you're going to be wanting to 
to sometimes create those things. You're going to want to have a space if you do have an office space. And I think that even real estate in the metaverse, now Mm -hmm. I say the metaverse, we don't know which metaverse will kind of become that oligopoly of of kind of the major metaverses. Facebook is obviously trying to be that person. I don't know if that's the case. But but I actually think that in the next year, we're going to make a lot of progress. There's going to be a lot of funding towards it. And we're going to start to understand maybe some of the, the uses there. And a lot of those are built on crypto token platforms because there's monetization in those tokens, kind of like going to Dave and Buster's and it being kind of when you're when you're in a different place, that's kind of that place's currency. There's a place for speculation in a diversified investment portfolio. I'm yeah. thinking back 20 years, 30 years, when we were talking about bizarre things such as AOL <laughs> and Prodigy, and it sounded as peculiar then. How old are you, Emil? How dare you? <laughs> Uh, Yes, it sounded very peculiar back then. Just like the NFT and metaverse sounds bizarre right now. But fast forward 30 years, maybe a little bit of speculation back then in some of those those strange companies would have paid off. Just like maybe there's room for speculation in an investment portfolio in the metaverse. I like it, Amy. All right. I have one question. Uh, Indeed, unrelated to that thing. Uh, but you mentioned about meme stocks, and it, it, it intrigues me. What what do you think's different about twenty twenty two with respect to meme stocks that won't cause them to irrationally go up, which did happen in twenty twenty one? I'm just trying to understand. I don't necessarily disagree with you, but yeah. it seems to me as though if they went up, if we look back and say they went up for irrational, illogical, uh, psychological driven reasons, what's different about twenty twenty two that means that can't recreate itself? Well, my own personal opinion, and Emil can probably wax on this for for hours, is that there's just too much money in the system um, at at this point. There's been a lot of stimulus. We've seen, obviously, the money supply grow, and and there's just a lot of money chasing fewer opportunities. And so I think in those cases, um, you do kind of start to start reaching for those those edges, or you start to to gamify um, investing on, on a company that's not I can't say that it's not real. Certainly, GameStop is real. We've all visited one when we were in, when we were teenagers, but but to justify the amount of money that's being invested in that is not based on how well that company is doing. So that would be just kind of my thought on it. You know, it's not something that certainly I even played in or that I would ever recommend to my clients. But it's 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 one of those just things that we will look back on and think what was going on during that time frame. Fair enough. Well, look, I think uh, with our producer's consent, I think we'll take a, a very brief break and hopefully have you all rejoin us in about a minute's time. Welcome back to Money Sense and our attempts at divination and soothsaying. We have heard from Amy. Amy has perplexed and baffled me, but probably educated others uh, with, with the metaverse. And we were just, just, just during the break, we were discussing this as to how does one actually conceptualize making an investment in something as ephemeral as the inverted commas metaverse and and you mentioned that there was an etf but when you start looking at the constituents of it it seems very un future like in some respects but i actually think that even the metaverse will be built still by 
companies. I don't know that it will be built by the companies that we see as our as the major players today. I don't know if it will necessarily be built by Facebook, but I think in in terms of how I probably conceptualize it, I think it'll be it'll turn out being kind of like a phone iOS versus there'll, there'll be a few major major metaverse platforms and kind of smaller players will have to kind of develop to fit some of those. You know, you have Disney starting to do virtual Disney World. You'll be able to visit Disney World, see the characters walking around, ride those rides. I know you've, they've got those Harry Potter rides already that you, you're in like a chair and you're you're virtually experiencing it. I can't ride them because it makes me sick. But You're too, you're too young. But they're pretty fun and, and too short. Just... But I mean, I think I think we're 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 moving that direction. I think any company that's not at least looking forward to to how they could be a part of the metaverse or how their offering could be a space on in in a metaverse is probably going to be behind behind the curve in terms of the future. But what, what I'm hearing you say there, it through my ears, which might not be how you meant it in a sense, is that. There's a, there's an, there will be an increasingly important reliance on the ability to deliver experiences digitally, which will require ever increasing power and speed and efficiency of processing e- equipment, whether it be graphics chips, whether it be ordinary chips, that sort of thing will be prime and central to being able to deliver these sorts of experiences. So you then look at something like an NVIDIA, you look at the Intels of the world, you look at Apple, which is developing. Those sorts of things will be, yes, you can build around it. Even the the, hardware of what you're wearing on your your face or on your your eyes to to experience it. Mm -hmm. So perhaps those are the ways to conceptualize how to, because you can't can't ride a Harry Potter ride in the metaverse without having a chip that may goes into glasses which allows you to actually get into it experience it right i think it's i think it's still built on the system that mm-hmm. we are we are currently running from an economic standpoint i think it's still companies still publicly owned companies that that ultimately are driving this technology fair enough well look i'm going to um, take a screeching handbrake turn from that particular conversation and for and uh, make a make an analysis or forecast or comment on something far Far, far more mundane, frankly. And I apologize. You mentioned it at the beginning, but I want to say a few mm-hmm. words about inflation for where, um, for the for the year 2022. And I think the reason to do it is you mentioned, was it yesterday, that the US came out and reported 7% consumer price inflation. Uh, and then a week or so ago, producer price inflation was up 13%. And these numbers have never been seen in 20 plus years. Yeah, 82 it, is what I well, read. Well, yeah. exactly. So 7% is the highest going back 30 years, which is the highest since 1970s, early 80s, which if you're someone who cares about inflation or worries about inflation, probably, you start to say the 1970s and early 80s to them and they start to develop right. a very nervous twitch and probably yeah, start talking about um, stocking up. Because it's it's a, it's a it's a very horrible time for someone in the central banking community to start to have to relive the experience of 1970s and 1980s. Those were very difficult times. There were well, there was general strife, not much not not dissimilar to what we have now. There were supply chain issues. There were people not working. We have those sorts of things for very different reasons, but we have a very similar, in a sense, state of affairs. And so you start to draw the analysis and the parallels, and that becomes problematic. Now. I'm going to I'm going to couch this in a couple of ways. I'm going to look at it in two different ways. The first is that obviously when you see 7% there's going to be lots of screaming headlines about the Fed having lost control. Now they might be right. But I'm going to look at it in a slightly different way and say 
does the Fed, you've mentioned the word transitory, but I actually take it a different, a slightly different angle and say, I don't necessarily think the Fed cares about the transitory nature. And the reason for that is over the last 20 or so years, I was trying to find out when this, this expression came into being, but there's an expression that's come into the economics lexicon called nominal GDP targeting. Now, that's put everyone to sleep straight away. But in essence, it's what the Fed is basically doing right now. And so bear with me while I do 30 seconds of math. So Emil, get your notebook out. If you start to this year at a GDP level of 100, and you say that the economy can sustain 10% growth a year in nominal terms, that's 110, that's 121, that's 133. If you then have a recession, which we had last year in a sense, and economies collapsed, so it went to 95, what you're basically saying is that you can sustain 15% or 16%, 17% of growth in order to get back to where the economy should ordinarily be. And so in a sense, what the Fed is doing right now is it's taking unwitting, or not unwittingly, it's, taking, it's, it's adopting that. It's saying, we don't really care what the rules are. It's, done, it's doing a Boris Johnson. It says, we don't really care what the rules are because they don't apply to us. We are going to go and do something different, even though the rules say that the Fed must target two and a bit percent inflation. We're actually going to pretend that doesn't exist and we're going to go do something else. We're going to allow a party to happen, to use my Boris Johnson analogy. <laughs> we're going to have a party and we don't really care that the rules don't allow that because we think it's in the right interests of the economy. And that's, that's sort of what's happened. They said we want to stimulate the economy and we want to allow that stimulation to occur for as long as is possible so that we get back to 110 this year, even though... Historically, if we'd only allowed 2.5% inflation, we'd have gone from 95 to 98, the 98 to 100, 100 to 103, and then we'd be this 15% behind the curve. Now, I don't think that's a bad idea at all, because I, I think there's a lot of credence to this philosophy of targeting GDP in this way. The problem is that if you speak to someone who has concerns about inflation, they say that once you start to create inflation, it becomes a psychological problem. So you start to see people worrying about it. And if people start to worry about it, then they start to go to their bosses, they start to demand higher wages. And I think it was, was it JP Morgan, um, CEO, who said it's the first time he'd started to see wage pressure in his bank in his, his lifetime? That's quite a problematic experience. Now, it seems a bit weird to say, well, wage pressure is problematic. For the people getting the wages, it's not problematic. But for the aggregate of the economy, if you start to see wages increase because of inflation, the only outcome of that is further inflation. Those, those, that, that is a circle that cannot be broken if that continues. Now, why is that problematic? Well, it is only problematic if inflation is a psychological problem and it continues. And I think it probably is as well. I don't disagree that the Fed has doing the right thing by targeting GDP and getting us back to a level that is in the long term sustainable. But I do think that we have this psychological problem whereby people will respond to it. And if they do, to Amy's point, then I think you, you, you'd be an absolute fool to invest in fixed income instruments. You should, if you want to invest in bonds, you should be investing in floating rate, fix, floating rate debt instruments. You should be investing in instruments which are inflation linked, those sorts of elements that have some degree of protection from the crazy stuff that's going on. Because if you invest in something which is maturing in 10 years and it's paying you one and a quarter percent or the, what is it, a 10 year treasury right now is paying 1.7 percent you know for a fact you're going to be losing money. You know for a fact that's going to be declining by about 6 7% a year uh, in real terms just because of inflation. So that seems like a very, very bad bet. But what's troubling me is in those sorts of circumstances, when you see uh, people worried about inflation, when you see people panicking about that sort of stuff, and I'll turn to Emil for a minute on this one, is you typically then see investors say, well, 
given all those circumstances, given that the power of money is declining in value, given that I'm worried about the validity of that, I should invest in a hard asset. I should invest in a real asset. I should invest in a gold. But people haven't, or at least people might have done, but the price has still fallen. So how do we square that particular circle? Because we're not experiencing monetary inflation caused by the expansion of money supply, but because we're experiencing a consumer-led supply-demand imbalance that will rebalance. So you, you, you think it's temporary then, in that sense? Uh, I don't know how to define temporary, but I would define that what we're experiencing is not caused by government spending too much and by central bankers printing too much, and by most importantly, uh, private banks creating credit and extending it to the private economy, which is where the vast majority of money comes from. I believe we're experiencing supply chain disruptions, logistical problems, imbalances caused by government shutdowns, it's surges in consumer good orders and such and such etc etc so that will rebalance and therefore the inflation should the consumer price increases should um, moderate and most importantly we have to look at whatever the price of oil and energy is because that's what really drives uh, consumer price indices uh, but I think you've you've sort of said something there which was alluding what I try to allude to which is you've got supply supply side disruptions you've got imbalances you've got there are lots of things going on, which is very similar, again, back to what happened in the 1970s. And But in order to control inflation at that point, interest rates had to go to astronomical levels and economies had horrible experiences. The big difference between then and now is that the private banking system was expanding the definition of money and creating vast numbers of new financial products to work their way around regulations, which were still in place uh, after the Second World War, financial regulations and those banks wanted to create new ways of creating money and credit and extend it to the private system. So people were They're encouraged to buy houses, buy all sorts of securitization products which allowed banks to get debt off balance sheet. They're not doing that now because we are in the third worldwide depression of the last 150 years, the silent there depression. Go. There we there go. There it is. There it is. The, the happiness doth come to an end. But I don't disagree with what Emil's saying either in terms of, you know, you think about, let's say we're all central bankers in this room, and really our dual ma mandate is both to control inflation and to control unemployment. And we know that wage inflation is at the bottom of, of the process, right? It's going to lag everything else, and you want to come all the way right up to that where that wage inflation gets pushed up just barely enough before you kind of then come in and try to slow down the economy, because that's what raising interest rates does. And do we want to necessarily slow down an economy that still has capacity in workforce? Absolutely not. So that's where we really have to see, and that's what I think Emil is alluding to, is there is still this supply chain yeah. issue caused I, I, causing this. I agree with that, and I'll make one last comment, and I think we should wrap up before the producer <laughs> right. gets across with us on our first show of the year. Uh, but I think that what, what might be different this time is the disruption in the labor supply because pe a lot of people who had jobs you don't tend to disrupt your lifestyle when you have a job and you have certainty you tend to not take the risk of uh, demanding pay rises at the risk you might be replaced but a lot of people lost jobs and the, the, the incentive to go back when you can you can be a bit more competitive now in terms of what you're after because people have become a little bit more selective it's it's quite 
bizarre that you don't have a job and therefore you become selective but it seems to be happening so there is a greater chance it seems as though wage inflation could be more problematic because it seems to be increasingly difficult for companies to hire people at a price they were originally wanting to pay and that's a that's a very strange bizarre interpretation of how economics traditionally works but seems to be occurring right now now with that what's the latin for tempus fugus i think is what we need to go with um the first show of the year is almost done so thank you to amy thank you to emil it's been a pleasure i think we can safely conclude that whatever we we have said today most likely won't occur <laughs> but that's always the best way of uh, approaching a forecast show that's right is to expect the as to expect to be failing um, so thank you again for your time, your contemplations and your musings. My regular final note before we go then is to to remind our audience that the show will be available as a podcast on the CFA Society Cayman Islands webpage and encourage you if you have any question or topic that you want us to cover, please email us at moneysense at candw.ky or tweet us at moneysense radio. I imagine at some point there's going to be a little avatar on the metaverse that Amy will design for us with some little pastures and, I don't know, picket fence and maybe herd of sheep, something like that. So thank you again. Please do tune into Money Sense in two weeks' time.